Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right. Any children that need to be dismissed at this time? They may be dismissed and they may go. Amen. Just a reminder as the children are uh, leaving uh, that every Wednesday night we're still gathering. Um, and so the kids are doing their thing. The adults are studying and praying together. Uh, just a reminder that that is still occurring. Now, uh, with that being said as well, I don't think uh, this week has uh, gone by without us being reminded that COVID-19 is still here. Okay, uh, Our numbers in Putnam County are increasing. We have more people in the hospital now uh, than before with COVID-19 and struggling. Uh, our local hospital has announced even uh, they are stopping all elective surgeries at this time for the foreseeable future to make room for those who are really sick with COVID. Um, and I was watching our local government this week as they were making announcements about the increased infections in our county. There has been no mandatory mask mandate or any kind of uh, isolation mandates uh, issued. There is a public plea for personal responsibility. And that's always been my policy as a church, or as a pastor of this church. Personal responsibility here is what I want to remind us all during this season, especially as cold and flu season come. I mean, the common sense things about flu and cold, wash your hands, uh, don't cough in people's face, still apply. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so as, as long as God uh, allows us to continue to meet as His church, I think it's also our responsibility to be wise about that. So if you're sick, we love you. Uh, let us know you're sick, and we'll like send flowers to you, and we'll call on you. Um, but please don't bring your germs here to us. We love you, uh, but amen. Amen. But we're going into a difficult season. And the reason I bring this up, uh, this is not lighthearted, um, is because I was actually contacted the other day to conduct a funeral this afternoon for uh, a dear lady who did pass away from COVID-19. Um, she attracted, she, she was in the nursing home, NHC nursing home. Um, they apparently have had a, a, a wave of COVID-19 cases in that facility. Um, and this particular lady contracted COVID-19 and was gone within a week. So I don't think that, uh, the Lord, the Lord is protecting us, but we, we also must be, we are, we are being reminded that we're living in a fallen world with a disease. And we do have, still have something out there that is causing trouble for a lot of folks who are elderly or in weak health already. Let's be, cons- let's be considerate. Let's be compassionate. Let's also be diligent and uh, fervent in our own health. Amen. And would you be please be praying for the Key family? Uh, that's the name of the family, the Keys. Um, I'll be doing their funeral this afternoon because her pastor himself has COVID. That's why they contacted me. And so I'll be uh, doing a funeral for them this afternoon. So be praying for that family, uh, if you will. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to continue in Matthew's Gospel within the Sermon on the Mount. And we are taking several weeks now to go through what has been termed in our tradition the Lord's Prayer in other Catholic traditions is called the Our Father, right? We quote, we cite the Our Father. There's, there's a lot of different ways to approach this beautiful prayer throughout church history. We call it the Lord's Prayer. In my tradition growing up in the church uh, in Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, we would often cite the Lord's Prayer together. But now every Sunday we always did the doxology, right? Uh, we always sp- uh, quoted the doxology. Uh, in our worship as as I was growing up. And the Lord's Prayer would come through every now and then, and we would cite that to re- recite it together as a church. And today we're going to be looking primarily at verse 10 in chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. But as we have uh, started last week, I would like for us to read and and pray together the Lord's Prayer. So in your bulletin, I actually have the Lord's Prayer printed. And if you are able to stand, let's let's stand in reverence for God's Word, because this is God's Word. And I would like for us to pray this prayer together out loud corporately. Amen? Not that we're becoming a liturgical church at all. I think there's a room for liturgy every now and then. But this is a good reminder for us. This is the model prayer that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave us as a gift. Right? And so let's be reminded of these words. What is in your bulletin? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Ready? 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you have given us your word. You have showed us who you are. You have revealed yourself in your word. You have revealed yourself in your Son, Jesus Christ. And these are his, his words of teaching to us. He has given us this model prayer to the church as a gift to understand how to approach your throne. Lord, you've given us this gift of prayer as we are allowed and actually encouraged to bring our petitions to you. And I pray, God, that you would continue to teach us as your body what it means to pray, how to pray, but what it means to come into your presence with our desires, our petitions, our wants, our sorrows, our joys. Lord, we thank you for this gift that we can come into your presence, that we can address you as Father. That is a joyous, blessed gift. And I pray, God, today that as, as we study this word, that as we understand or try to understand what Jesus is teaching here, Lord, that you would reveal to us the joy of prayer, that you would inspire in us a fervent joy to pray. If we're not a praying people, God, you're not with us. And so, God, I pray that you would challenge Sovereign Grace Baptist Church to be more fervent, not only in personal prayer, but also corporately together, that we come to you collectively in unity, in prayer. Guide our words, teach us what to pray, teach us how to pray. This is what we ask of you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please have a seat. God bless you. Last week we were looking at verse 9 primarily. As Jesus was teaching us in verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And in verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And last week we unpacked that meaning of, number one, God as Father, a very personal understanding of who God is. He's revealing Himself in this manner as the Father, the one who is personal and relational to His creation. But even further than that, even though He is Father and He's relational, His name is holy, hallowed be your name. That's the first step, the first attribute of a model prayer. When we come to God in prayer, we cannot overlook this initial approach to the Lord. Dear Father, hallowed be your name. And now Jesus in verse 10 builds on this hallowed introduction of coming into God's presence. In verse 10, this is a continuation of Jesus' teaching on this proper form of prayer. Now, the, there, there are six petitions here that Jesus is giving us as the framework for our prayers. And I would encourage you that when we pray, these six petitions are the framework by which we approach the Lord. doesn't mean that we come to God in a formal liturgy every time that we pray. But Jesus is teaching us this for a reason. We don't come to God any way that we wish. Can we say amen? God is teaching us even here through the words of His Son how to pray to Him. And the, and the first step, the very first petition, is acknowledging His holy name and His holiness. His name is hallowed. Dear Father, oh, how holy and wonderful You are. That's the first of the three petitions. The second and the third we're going to be looking at today. Your kingdom come and your will be done. These are the first three of the six petitions in this prayer. And they're all connected. Without 
hallowed be your name, there is no call for his kingdom. And without a call for his kingdom, there is no call for his will. They're intertwined together. Verse 10 builds on God's holiness by directly appealing to God's kingdom, calling for his kingdom. The words here, your kingdom come. Your kingdom, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice in verse 10, Jesus is teaching us in our prayers, we do not ever come to God and pray, dear God, my will. Fulfill my will, Lord. How many of us have been guilty of that? <laughs> right? We start the prayer, and that's the focus of the whole prayer. Dear God, here's my will. Make it happen. How many of us have been guilty of that? Jesus is teaching us something very important here about the nature of God, who He is, and how we approach Him in our prayers that God Himself encourages us to do. But these verses build on one another. Verse 10 builds on the attitude or the attribute of God, His holiness, and it directly appeals to His holy kingdom to come. Now, in order to understand the establishment of God's kingdom, we have to understand His connection or this connection to His holiness. God's kingdom is a holy kingdom. Let's ponder that for a minute. It's not our kingdom, it's God's kingdom. And this sanctified nature of God's name is always connected to his kingdom. So if God's name is hallowed, if, if, if God's name is sanctified and holy, likewise his kingdom will be the same. And Jesus is encouraging us, commanding us, teaching us to pray this in our prayers. In other words, to have this attitude in our prayers, dear God, your holy kingdom come, not mine. And so this sanctified nature of God's name, his holiness is connected to everything he does, even his kingdom. And this is the most important part of the kingdom that then lies within his will. Even his will is going to be holy and always perfect. Amen? And so to sanctify God's name, to hallow his name, is to give to God the glory that is rightly due to him, right? And so it is to speak of God in the highest of possible reverence. In other words, as we're coming to God in prayer, what Jesus is teaching us here in verses 9 and 10 is that when we come to God, our attitudes about him, our approach to him must be the right approach to that which is holy, and that is reverence. Amen? Do we even understand what reverence means? We have taken into the church an attitude of the friendliness of our Savior, which that there is some truth to that, to a level. But we throw out the reverence. You see the point here? We throw out the reverence. And so whenever we pray, even when we teach our children to pray, if we teach our children to pray, are we teaching them to revere the holiness of God? Reverence is not necessarily something that is terrifying. We encourage you here because if we think of God in His holiness, there is an attribute, I mean, there's a level of fear when we come into God's presence, but it's a fear that is out of reverence not a fear out of terror. If we're teaching our children to pray to a holy God who is out to get to zap you, we're teaching them to pray to a God out of fear. And God is not encouraging us to come to him out of fear. He's calling us to pray to him out of reverence. And that right there, when we come to God in an attitude of reverence, we are acknowledging his position and our position in relation to his position, <laughs> right? Where is God? He's up here, even beyond where I can reach. Amen? Where are we? Down here, even lower than I can point. That's our position. We are in need of him in his holiness. His name is holy. Now, so to avoid acknowledging his holiness, to avoid sanctifying his name, really we're profaning his name if we don't. When we pray to God, 
If we are not coming to God with an attitude of complete reverence and an attitude of complete submission to His holiness, we're really profaning Him. If we come to God in any other attribute, any other level, we're coming to Him, we're temp- really, we're kind of elevating ourselves to God-like status. And that is profaning His name. I think that's part of what we can see here. And so this essence of the petition, hallowed be your name, is that this glory may be shi- may shine in the world and may be acknowledged by humanity. In other words, we're acknowledging God's holiness, not for the attribute of, of the Platonic ways of thinking, where Plato said that that which is divine is perfect and that which is of the earth is corrupt, but that we want God's holiness and His perfection to be manifest even here. Now, that'll blow your mind. That's what we're calling for here. So in essence, when we're calling on God's name as holiness, and we're calling for His kingdom to come, what we're praying fervently is that God's glory may shine in the world and actually be acknowledged by fallen humanity and revered by us as rightly due. Now, the opposite of this would be that God would remain distant from us. And that's the result of human sin, distancing ourselves from God. If we, I mean, that's our state now. We have distanced ourselves from the holiness of God, and His holiness by its very nature is also distant from our sin because our, our sin cannot exist in His presence. That's really almost, it's an act of grace if you think about it. <laughs> God is protecting our lives by distancing from us, yet somehow at the same time coming to us and drawing us to Him at the same moment. Now that'll blow your mind, won't it? And so the, what Jesus is teaching here in the prayer is that we are, we are acknowledging God's holiness and we're calling for His kingdom to come in verse 10, but we want that kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we need to unpack here today. It's necessary that in this model prayer that Jesus is giving us, it's necessary to call upon God's presence to be established among His people so that we are passionate and honestly desiring His kingdom. In other words, what Jesus is teaching us here in verse 10 is, fervently pray, dear God, we want Your kingdom to come. We want Your presence here. We desire Your holiness near us. And we want you, your glory to be established, the glory that is in the heavens to be established here on earth, right? How many of us actually desire that? Let's ponder this for a minute. How many of us honestly desire the holiness of heaven to actually be here in the world that we know? Or are we so comfortable in the here and now that we imagine heaven... Is like what we are living like now. That can be an error that we can slip into if we're not, I mean, we'll probably do it anyway. When we come into God's presence, when we come to Him in prayer, are we imagining heaven is just another theme park? Another place where we are buddy-buddy with God and everything's just like it is here on earth. There's a caution there. Because what Jesus is teaching us here is that when we are praying in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there's a very clear distinction that we are desiring a change to our status quo, not just our personal lives, the world. We are desiring a change to the way the world is. So what is the kingdom of God? Because in verse 10... Your kingdom come. We are to pray this. We are to pray, your kingdom come. When was the last time that was a part of your daily prayer? Or has your daily prayer consisted of, dear God, just get me through another work day. Dear God, just please keep my wife happy. Oh, dear God, will you change my husband? Oh, dear God, just make my children behave one day. Right? Is that, is that what our prayers are? Is that all we pray? Right? Do we even consider in our prayers, dear God, 
may your kingdom come. If we go away with nothing else today, I would ask that you ponder that question. Are we asking in our prayers for God's kingdom? So what is the definition of God's kingdom? In order to understand what Jesus is teaching us to pray, I think it's important for us to, uh, to look a little bit into Scripture about what is God's kingdom. What are we actually wanting? What do we desire to come? What is God's kingdom? To establish a kingdom is really to reign over that kingdom. When we're calling God, your kingdom come, we're asking God to reign over his kingdom. And to reign is to oversee and control what occurs within that kingdom. Okay? It's, it, it's said that God reigns among men when we throw off our passionate desires of sin in favor of God's sovereign holiness. That's when he reigns over us. Yet he is sovereign over all at the same time. Yet God reigns among men when they submit to his governance. That's, that's what it's been said, in, that, that God reigns over our lives when we are in submission to his governance. Those who oppose this reign of God are really those who are under the authority of Satan by choice. The idea of free will within humanity is really a gift that God has given us to be thinking creatures. Yet the very root of, of the fall, the state of sin that we are in, is that we willingly, we take our free will and we choose Satan, we choose evil, we choose our own will over God's. And so while we're, when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, what Jesus is teaching us here is that our prayer, we're desiring a different kingdom. We're desiring a different Lord. We're desiring a different reign over the world. Not our reign, not Satan's reign, but God's reign. R-E-I-G-N, by the way. Not, not the downpour that makes us all miserable, Right? So imagine this, if we call upon the Lord for his kingdom to come, we're calling for a different, a different Lord to rule over our world because what we have done in the fall, we as human beings, we have really kind of elevated Satan as to the prince of this age. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. We have elevated the devil, Satan, to be the prince of this age. We've given him that power. That's what we've done. And so God is teaching us here in this prayer to fervently and honestly pray for a different kingdom. A different kingdom. Now, the ones who refuse this are those who are blinded by this world. That's the whole point. We who are in sin, we are blinded to the reality of the world we're living in. Because we think it's so grand, right? We're blinded to the fact that there is an evil that is the prince of this age. And, we're at, and what Jesus is teaching us here is that we call upon God to establish his kingdom, to reign over this. Now, in praying that God's kingdom were to arrive, I think we're praying that God would remove all of these evil hindrances that are controlling this world that keep us away from God's presence, that keep us away from his reign. This petition here is actually seeking that God would lead all of the corrupt to meditate on God's heavenly realm rather than to separate themselves in a, a fallen earthly realm that's divided apart from God. I think we can see this in the Old Testament prophet of Daniel. If you'll, if you'll flip over there to Daniel chapter 2, we won't read all of it, but I encourage you if you're taking notes, um, Daniel chapter 2 beginning in verse 31 and following speaks of Daniel interpreting the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar where he had this vision of this, this image or this, this idol, this statue that was made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay and what was the interpretation of this image in his dream. 
And Daniel was the only one who could come and interpret the dream. Matter of fact, Daniel was the only one who could come and interpret the dream and tell the, tell the king what the dream was without the king telling Daniel what the dream was. Remember? If you read all of Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar calls all of his wise men in and he says, interpret my dream that I had last night. And their answer was, well, da- well dear king, tell us what the dream was. And the king said, well, if I tell you what the dream was, you're not very wise. You have to tell me what I dreamed first and then tell me what the meaning of the dream was. Go back and read that. It's amazing. And Daniel was the only one who could do that because he submitted to the Lord God Almighty and asked God for help in this. Now look here at Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. This is the only verse we're going to read here. As, after, as Daniel is interpreting the dream, all of these different images of gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay, according to Daniel's interpretation, these, these represented different kingdoms that would come, that would be established even after Nebuchadnezzar. And it was this final, this final kingdom that he mentions here in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom that I think Jesus is teaching us about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. That's what he's saying. There's this final kingdom, this this greater kingdom, this kingdom of God that He establishes that will crush and stand forever over all human kingdoms, every attempt by humanity to control the world. There is an eternal kingdom that God Himself establishes. And this is what Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 is saying, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how does this occur? In other words, how does this transformation of kingdoms occur? In other words, what is it that we're praying for? What are we asking to happen when we pray, your kingdom come? God's kingdom comes partly through the preaching of God's word and partly by the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we're praying for, dear God, your kingdom come like you come and you just take over the political structure of the fallen world and establish a new political order. No, God's kingdom is grander than that. God's kingdom comes through preaching of his word and God's kingdom comes through the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to understand His Word and to be His people. So while it's God's will to govern over our hearts by His Word, His voice is actually distant to those who are not being led by the Spirit. If the Spirit is not illuminating and helping us to understand God's Word, God's Word, His voice, is actually void to us. You ever tried to read Scripture to a non-Christian? You ever tried to read Scripture to somebody who wants nothing to do with God whatsoever? What is their response to reading Scripture to them? Well, I don't understand any of that. Well, of course. The Holy Spirit's not in their lives. God is not changing their hearts. Of course they're not going to understand His Word. And they're not going to understand the kingdom apart from that. And so God's kingdom comes through the preaching of His Word combined with and actually led by the understanding of His Word through the Holy Spirit. And so while it's God's will to govern over our hearts, it's also His will for us to hear His voice. And so both aspects of preaching of God's Word and the, the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit, is are, these are the first two key points of building His kingdom on earth. Because God's kingdom is established within the hearts of the fallen humanity. That's what we see. You see, God's kingdom reigns over all of humanity in our hearts. It's the changing of the heart. We see this in Jeremiah 31, but these words are also repeated in Hebrews chapter 10. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. 
That's one of the key attributes of establishing the kingdom of God. God is telling us through the prophet Jeremiah, and then the writer of Hebrews is repeating this again. If you want to understand what God's kingdom is, it is God establishing His law in the hearts of fallen humanity. And writing His law, writing His word, writing His very love in our being so that the kingdom is established through the changing of sinful humanity. Let's ponder that. Now, the call for God's kingdom to arrive, when we look here in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6, your kingdom come. When you read those words, that implies that the kingdom hasn't arrived yet. Dear God, your kingdom come. It it implies that it's still coming, that there's still more to be done. Scripture is in stark contrast to this contemporary idea that is so prevalent in our churches right now called the Kingdom Now Theology. Has anybody ever heard of that? Kingdom Now Theology. This this comes out of our Pentecostal, Charismatic, and Word of Faith movements. Um, Bethel Music is one of the things. A lot of their lyrics imply that, that God's kingdom is now, and you can just snap your fingers and cast a potion and... God will have to obey what you say. That's the kingdom now theology. And they claim that God's kingdom is established in its fullness now and that the church has full access and rights and privileges to the kingdom of God in the here and now. It's a very appealing message, but it is so unbiblical. God's kingdom is still yet to be established. It's not fulfilled yet. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 clearly contradicts this idea of kingdom now. It contradicts the idea that God's kingdom is fulfilled now. Because if God's kingdom was fulfilled now, why would we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? It's still not yet here. We're still calling for it. We're still asking, dear God, will you please fulfill your promise that you gave to us through your prophet Jeremiah and through your prophet Daniel and through all of the Old Testament prophets. Will you please continue to pour out your holiness into this world and establish your kingdom even as Jesus has established the kingdom? It's still coming, folks. (laughs) The kingdom is here, but not yet. It has been, because Jesus uses the words, I have come to establish the kingdom of heaven. But it's not yet complete. (laughs) Amen. There's still a completeness that must come. And this is what Jesus is calling for the citizens of the kingdom to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Because think about it, if, if the heresy of the Kingdom Now movement was true, then really we would look here at the Lord's Prayer and say, well, we can get rid of verse 10 because the kingdom's already here. That right there should be a red flag because if we have to discard any aspect of Scripture, then that teaching is wrong. Amen? There we go. Now, the, the, the other part about the kingdom being built is that the kingdom of God is opposed to all disorder and confusion. One of the reasons that we have governing structures is because we want to have some sense of order. But let's be honest, how successful is human governance over ourselves? I mean, it's successful to a degree, but can we all agree that government is flawed? No matter how it's set up, amen? (laughs) There's always some failure no matter what the human structure is of government. But the kingdom of God is, is a kingdom that is... It has no disorder. It is fully orderly. It has no confusion. It is fully peaceful. And good order is not possible in our fallen world, but only through God's firm hand of His governance can, can the desires of our, of our flesh be taken under control. So to establish God's kingdom is therefore... To, Actually, to establish God's kingdom is to destroy the old sinful self. It is to deny oneself. It is to be renewed into the newness of Christ. Ponder that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 repeats what Jeremiah 31 34 says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That is a key attribute of God's kingdom. That He will remember our sins 
and our lawless deeds no more, to reestablish a order that sin threw into chaos. As the kingdom of God comes, and as the kingdom of God is constantly growing and advancing within the hearts of humanity, God continues His reign even now. And we're called by Christ here to constantly pray that the kingdom may come to whatever extent sin abounds in the hearts of man. If we are sinful to that depravity of sin, the kingdom of heaven should come that way and more. In other words, the lowest of the low status that we have is sinful Christian or sinful human beings, and I would say even sinful Christians. God's kingdom will overcome that and more. That's the prayer that we're praying for here. Amen? And we're praying that it comes. Now, the third way that God reigns and establishes His kingdom is by overthrowing His enemies. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're also asking God to overthrow His enemies. Does God have enemies? Now, we're the chiefest and the first ones, right? So kingdoms are often established in world history. When we think about human kingdoms, they're, they're often established by overthrowing another kingdom, okay? Even the United States, right? Our revolution for independence, we were overthrowing the control of another kingdom, and we were establishing our freedom. That's, that's human Kingdoms, right? So if, if kingdoms are often overthrown, are often overthrowing another kingdom, then we're actually calling God to do the same. Now we're all born into this evil kingdom. And so we're asking God to establish, to overthrow the sinful, evil kingdom that we're in to establish His holy kingdom. Right? Now let's continue here in verse 10, Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, what are we asking for when we ask for God's will to be done? Right? In order to comprehend what we're, what Jesus is teaching us here, let's ask the question, what does God's will mean? How is His will executed? Here's how we can define God's will. God's will is His mysterious and divine providence at work. You ever heard that word? God's will can be defined as His mysterious and divine providence. What is providence? Providence is God's ongoing relationship to His creation. Right? God's providence is His interaction, His willing and active participation in our lives and in the way the world works. That's His providence. And so God's will is His providence being played out. It might be that... that it, some people think that God is withdrawn from the world, right? That God established the world, He got everything started, got all of the planets and the stars spinning, and He just sat back and said, I'm done. That, that's the doctrine of deism. If you've ever heard that before, uh, the doctrine of deism says that God created all that there is, but He's not active currently in keeping things going. It's like he, he started the, the, the top, you know, those toys that you would spin. He just kind of got it going and it's just, and the world's just going to spin until it stops. That's, that's a false doctrine. God didn't do that. He's very active right now. He's very active at this moment. His providence means that he's involved in his creation. So what is Jesus teaching here in this prayer? He's, pray, he's teaching that we should pray for God's will to play out on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is not distant and apart from us in heaven with no interaction on earth. He's active everywhere. Amen? So the state, if, if, if Jesus is saying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is God's will in heaven? The state of heaven is a place and it's a real place where God's perfection is. It's a real place where God most fully makes known His presence. It's a real place where God makes known His blessings. 
It is in heaven where God most fully reveals His glory and where angels and other heavenly creatures and the redeemed saints all worship Him for eternity. How many of us are looking forward to that day? Jesus is praying that that kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of us are praying for this state of heaven on earth here? That'll blow your mind, won't it? The state of heaven is a real place. And God's will is done when His divine providence is executed. His perfected place of heaven is executed in the lives of humanity and in the world that we live in. That's what Jesus is calling for us to pray for. Right? When we pray, your will be done, here's what we desire. We desire that all of mankind would obey or at least be willingly desiring God's will without reservation, without opposition. So when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, here's what we're praying. We're praying that all of humanity, all of the sinful fallen world, would willingly desire and willingly obey God. Ponder that. Further, this petition of prayer for God's will to be done is that all of us, all of the world, would obey God's commands and submit to His providence, His willing interaction with us. Not that we're coerced into it, not that we're bullied into it, not that we're drugged into it, but that our will would be in alignment with God's will, and that is as God's kingdom is established, that's what God's kingdom looks like. He will change our will to be in alignment with His will and we will willingly be His people and we will lovingly obey Him. That's the kingdom. The kingdom is God's reign over human hearts, human wills, human minds, human lives. And as God's will to interact with His... And that's His will. God's will is to interact with us, to interact with His creation. Be on, and, 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 and this prayer is calling for God's will to be on earth just like it is in heaven. Now, we know that earth and the world is not like heaven at all. But man, wouldn't it be great to have a prayer that it would be? How many of us sincerely pray that? Remember, God's kingdom is established as He changes our will to be in line with His will. And if God wills for His kingdom to be established here, He's going to change our hearts to want that too. But what do we want? This petition of the citizen of the kingdom is that God's creation will be like heaven and that humanity and all of the world will be reunited with God's will and that we'll be restored and redeemed? In other words, just as the fall in the, in the garden separated humanity, it also separated the material world that we live in, the cosmos. It also separated all of the creation from God's presence. We caused that. Our fall separated even the created world from God's presence. That's why the rocks cry out. <laughs> That's why in the end, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Are we praying for that? This is the petition of prayer that Jesus is calling for us to pray. That the original creation order would be reunited and restored. When human souls are reunited with God, where well, we will walk with God in peace in His created order. So let me close with this question, this probing thought. Number one, are you earnestly praying at all? I asked this question last week. The number one thing that, I, that, that Christians will confess on any kind of Barna poll about their faith is that they don't pray. Right? I think if we had an honest poll in this room, 
Many of us in this room would be honest with ourselves and honest with God that we do not pray. Or if we do pray, it's passive. And so one of the reasons I'm, I'm slowing down here in Matthew chapter 6, and this is also for my, uh, own, dis, my own discipleship. I'm asking God to disciple me through His Word here too. Do we have an, a fervency for prayer at all? Number one. Number two, are you earnestly praying for this kingdom to come as Jesus is describing it here and as all of the God's Word describes the kingdom? Are we praying for that kingdom to come? The one that God is establishing within the hearts of men. Are we calling for that? I mean, that's an evangelical prayer. Dear God, establish your kingdom in the hearts of sinful humanity. Change us, please. That's what we're praying. We're not praying here when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not praying that conservative politics would dominate the world and throw the liberals in jail. We're not praying that. We're also not praying the social, that the social gospel would overthrow the oppressive conservative governments and throw them in jail. We're not praying either one of those. But what we're praying is that God's kingdom would dominate over sinful hearts. We're praying that God's kingdom would dominate over sinful minds, over sinful attitudes. In other words, we were praying that God's kingdom would dominate over a secular kingdom that throws God out, which is where we are. We are living in a secular kingdom, more so now than ever before in Western history. We've thrown God out. So here's my, my plea for us all. Will we fervently and honestly, honestly pray that God's kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are we too afraid for heaven to be established on earth? Are we too afraid to give up our secular kingdom for God's heavenly kingdom? Let's pray. Dear Father God Almighty, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I first come to You asking for forgiveness that we fail to pray, much less pray honestly that we wish Your kingdom would be here. When we pray, we too often keep You at a distance, God. We, we, we want to pray to You as long as You stay apart from us we don't want to pray that you actually change us or change our world or change people. But you tell us in your word that that's how your kingdom is established. That you will change the hearts of your people to where they willingly desire your will, where they willingly desire your heaven. They willingly desire your perfection, your providence involved in our lives, involved in the world order and the world structure. Dear God, we crave that. And when we fail in this prayer, God, I pray that you would cause a craving and a desire for your heavenly kingdom to reign and to take over our, our lives and our families' lives and our churches' lives and our worldly lives. Dear God, we pray for change. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for not wanting that, and I pray that you would forgive us for not calling for that because that's what you're asking us, you're commanding us to do. We pray now, God. Establish your kingdom as you describe it in your word that you would begin and end in the hearts of sinners. Dear God, I pray that your presence would be in this room and that you would convict us all where we have failed you, that you would convict us all where we have replaced your holiness for a secular fallen world that is more comfortable. I pray, God, that you would forgive us where we have discarded your word and your presence from our lives because you reveal things that we don't want to see.
Dear God, please establish Your kingdom. May Your will be done in this on earth as it is in heaven. Draw our hearts, our souls, our minds, our being into Your heavenly kingdom. Dear God, there may be some in this room right now as they hear these words, Your Spirit is convicting their very soul. So I am praying right now as our Savior has commanded us, Dear God, Your will, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the very hearts and souls of every human being in this room and who are listening to this sermon, who have listened to Your Word. Dear God, would You please establish Your kingdom as You deem fit. Please change us. Please mold us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good word today? Amen. Amen. Will you go out of here today and pray that prayer? What's the first step in prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Establish that in your prayer first reverence toward God with honest expectation that He'll listen and hear the prayer. And then this next model, the next step in this model prayer is pray that God's kingdom would come. His will be done. Not just for ourselves, but for others. Amen? Amen. God bless you. As we close in this final hymn, hymn number 184, here's what I want to encourage you. Some in this room may have, I mean, the Spirit may be leading and convicting some people in this room from this reading of God's Word today. If God is dealing with you in this area of prayer or in this area of of submitting to His will, I plead with you this morning to deal with that between you and God. You can come up here and pray if you wish. We'll pray with you. You need to sit where you're at and pray. That's fine too. But I challenge you, just don't walk out of here today struggling with what God is telling you in His Word. You've got enough Christians in this room to pray with you if need be. Amen? Amen.